Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Well, dear Lord, I pray that you would pour your love into our hearts, that you would open our hearts and minds to understand how much you love us, that we might love you in return. And I ask you to help me now as I preach. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen. You may be seated. If you wanted to express your love for another person, how would you do it? What are some of the ways that a person could do that? And more specifically, what is your preference? How would you go about doing it? Think of somebody that you love and think, I want to do something to express my love for that person. What is it that you would do? Now, I imagine many of you are familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages. The author of that book laid out five common ways that people prefer to show, to demonstrate their love. And typically for us, we like to receive love in the same uh, way that we show it for others. But those common five ways ways are these, the five um, love languages. These would be gifts, giving somebody a gift, an act of service, a quality time spent together, uh, words of affirmation, and physical touch non-sexual physical touch, a handshake, a back rub, a pat on the shoulder, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, What is your love language? What is the way that you prefer to express love for others? I'm asking that this morning because we're in the fourth of a sermon series on the habits of readiness, and I want to encourage you to develop the habit of expressing love for God. Just like the summary of the law says that we are supposed to love God with our entire self, our, our heart, our soul, our mind, that summarizes what God expects of us. But the problem is, loving because you're told to love is a really hard thing to do, if it's even possible. You know, think, think back to being a child and your parents tell you to go give great aunt so-and-so a kiss and tell her you love her, and frankly, she's kind of scary to you. That's obedience to your parents, but it's not necessarily expressing love. And so if you do it just out of obedience, it's not actually love. It's, it's the kind of thing that I'm talking about here is, is the, the, the response of love to someone that comes naturally, that flows up out of you. God is always first, let's keep in mind. So we love God because he first loved us, not because he told us to love him, but because he first loved us. That's what the Apostle John, the, the, the Apostle of love, as he's been called, says in 1 John um, 4, 19. And you know the most famous Bible verse of all time, John three sixteen. it tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's because of his love for the world that he sent his son. And Romans 5, 8 puts it this way, that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't that we were in any way worthy. It's not like we had loved God first and then he went, ah, I'm going to show my love in response to theirs by sending my son. But quite the opposite, while we were still sinners, he sent his son. He proves his love. He shows it. He demonstrates his love. So God is always the initiator. It's always first for him. He, he loves us and then invites us to respond in kind by loving him back. Now, my text for today is from Matthew 1, um, that gospel reading, Matthew 1, 18 and following, and it focuses on the incarnation. So I don't mean to get ahead to the cross with that Romans passage. I want to focus on the incarnation, but I believe this. In this text, in our passage today, there, is, there are no, a number of motives for us to love God in response. 
there are a number of things in this text that show us the kind of love he has for us and the significance of the incarnation that I hope for you and for me will stoke our hearts, will warm them up, will make us want to find ways to express love in return, love for God. So I'm going I'm to consider the two names that are given for the Son of Mary in here. One, of course, is the name Jesus, and then the other is Emmanuel. So we'll look at those two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. Now, you need to understand that there are two different perspectives on the announcement of Jesus' incarnation and the actual event. In Matthew's gospel, we have the perspective from the experience of Joseph. In Luke's gospel, we have it from the perspective of Mary. And you have to marry the two narratives together to get the full picture. Um, But in Luke's gospel, we've got the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary this young, probably a teenager, maybe 15 years old, this young um, virgin that she is going to conceive and bear a child. And she, of course, asks the question of how is this going to happen for I've never been with a man. And she's told the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will, you will conceive. And then she goes and it says in those days she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth, who also was pregnant with John the Baptist, who was in utero. Um, and she goes and spends three months, the entire first trimester there. Now, Elizabeth, because of her own pregnancy, And the experience that her husband had in the announcement of John the Baptist and how she was going to conceive in old age, all of that, when Mary gets there, she completely understands what's going on. So she's probably the only person that at that point believes Mary's story. Three months she's gone, and then she comes back. Now, I would love to have a transcript, or even better yet, to be a fly on the wall and watch the dialogue between Mary and Joseph when she returns. I mean, just try to try to put yourself there. But I, I need to explain betrothal for a second, because in our, our culture, it's a little different. When you get engaged here, everything is fine until the actual wedding. If you break off the engagement, you're just no longer engaged. But there, you were basically married. That's why in this text, it refers to her as Mary's husband, and it says he, he desired to divorce her quietly because he was a righteous man. And you're like, well, wait, they're not married. How is that possible? Well, in those days, betrothal basically meant marriage, but without consummation. So they registered to be married, which is like signing the legal documents. They got married. They just hadn't slept together. And so there was a period of waiting, and it was usually a year, and then they would consummate that that marriage, and it would be complete. But it was so serious that if one was to break off that betrothal, you were considered divorced or If he had passed away, she would have been considered a widow. So they were, I mean, this was was a real commitment here. And she comes back. And what is that conversation? Does he go, wow, they must have fed you really well over there at your cousin's house. (laughs) You're kind of full in the midsection. And then she says, I got to tell you something, Joseph. I would love to know what she actually said. Because obviously, there's no way he's going to believe it. He just, you know, and it tells us he resolved to divorce her quietly because obviously he felt betrayed because we know how these things work. And her story is not real plausible. The Holy Spirit came upon me, really. Like, that's just so hard. And and it it had never been done before. It will never happen again. It's a once once in in the universe event. Okay, but even though Mary is a righteous person, and so is Joseph, and they know each other. They've, they've known each other a long time. It didn't fit his framework. 
He couldn't get his brain wrapped around it because it was in the category of the miraculous. These things don't happen, therefore. He just categorically excluded it. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Do you struggle with the miraculous? Do you categorically exclude things that are in the category of the miraculous? Many people do. They say things like, it's not possible to walk on water, therefore Jesus did not do it. Therefore, the scriptures are not trustworthy. They come in with their presuppositions and say, it's not possible, therefore I can't believe that. And that's, for the moment, that's where Joseph was. But of course, the Lord was kind to him and didn't let him waffle too long before in a dream, the angel comes and says, this is actually true. What she told you is true. And now the both of them have to carry a real burden for a long time. I mean, basically for Jesus's entire life until his resurrection, until the miracle started happening, that they started to believe the story Mary and Joseph had. Otherwise, they just assumed he had lack of self-control, and that's why she got pregnant before they were married, and it would be just a scandal and a shame. So it was really hard to do what they were being called to do. But the miraculous here fits under the category of the name Emmanuel. So he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the Luke narrative, Mary is told that with God, nothing's impossible, right? This is God with us, and therefore, it changes the categories. God can do the impossible. God can do things you don't expect. So, where are you on that? Do you accept the possibility of the miraculous, or are you just shut down on that? See, Christianity is a very reasonable faith, actually. It doesn't ever call you to go against reason, but it does call you to go beyond it. It does challenge you to go beyond it. And there are things in this world that, to me, still seem miraculous. I've probably been on 500 airplane flights, and I still stick my nose to the window, and I look at the plane wing, and I think, this is, this is miraculous. This cannot work. How can this big hunk of metal take off? How is this possible? I don't know if you know this, I, I, I texted a friend who's a, an airplane pilot, and I said, the actual plane you fly, how much does it weigh? I mean, guess. I mean, it goes, it's a big plane, so it goes across the Atlantic. How much do you think an airplane weighs? You know, the text came back, 450,000 pounds. That's before it's loaded. It adds another 85,000 after that. The wings are not that long. Now, granted, I studied engineering. I understand Bernoulli's principle. I can tell you how it works, but I simply cannot, no one can tell you why it works, other than the fact that God put that principle in place into our universe to help us be able to fly. The writer of Proverbs, one of the wise men of Proverbs in Proverbs 30, says, there are some things I just don't understand. He says, there are three things that are too wonderful for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in flight, the way of a serpent across a rock, the way of a tall ship on the high seas, and the way of a young man with a virgin. He says these are things that are just miraculous, mysterious, and yet we can study them. I mean, that's what science is. It's the attempt to understand how and what God has created, how things work, what, what he made. It can't give us the why. It's just God did certain things, and he did it for love for us. So why? You can't answer the why. You can study the what, but the why. So I want to encourage you to be open to the potential of the miraculous. This is something that is hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. A virgin suddenly being pregnant and giving birth, and yet this is what the scriptures show. 
This is what the church believes. This is what God says happened. He loves us. And this is what he did. It's miraculous. Emmanuel, God with us. And with God, all things are possible. Not only is it miraculous, it's holy. So what we're told is that the Holy Spirit comes upon her and causes this to happen. If it was Joseph doing it, then Jesus would not be only the son of Mary, he'd be the son of Joseph, which means that he would inherit all of Adam and everything gone before. So just like David says in Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. Not that anything was wrong, particularly with his mother, just that simply sin is passed from one to the next to the next. We inherit the sin nature of Adam, but not Jesus. He's born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He is sinless. And what that means is that he is able for us to make the perfect sacrifice our sin requires. He is the lamb without blemish and without spot. He's done this for us. It's a miraculous thing and it's a holy thing. And then third, under God with us, Emmanuel, it's fulfilling what the scriptures say. You know, sometimes I've, in the past, I've been tempted to think like the cross was plan B. Like God went, I'm going to make people and I'm going to give them my law and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to have this relationship and all will go well. But then the serpent enters in and then there's sin and he goes, ah, now what am I going to do? Hmm, I I got a plan B. I'll send my son. It's not like that at all. From the foundation of the world, God knew exactly what was going to happen, and the plan from all time was that he was going to come and redeem us, that his son was going to come. That's why it's a fulfillment of the scriptures. Isaiah wrote 700 years before the incarnation, and that's just one of multiple places in scripture that Jesus' ministry is foretold. It's always been plan A, and it shows us how much he loves us, that he wanted to win us. And you say, well, why? Well, because love requires freedom. I'm talking about love this morning. I want you to develop the habit of loving God in response. And in order for for you to actually love him, you have to be given the choice not to love him. You have to be given the freedom to disobey him. And because he wants people who actually love him in response to his love, he has to give us the freedom to reject him and rebel, which we did. And then he has to come and save us, which he did. The incarnation is about him coming into our brokenness to fix the thing so that then we can be redeemed and restored. This is the greatest news ever. This is an amazing thing. God coming to save us. He he wants to give us real freedom. And you and I have a choice now because of his incarnation. We can choose to respond in love or we can choose to reject him. You know, it's like the Stepford Wives, where the, the women of one town in the story are all robots programmed to do exactly what their husbands want them to do. And it's not love. And it actually becomes this heinous thing. It's ugly. Nobody wants that. We want the kind of love that is a choice. Do you want somebody to love you because they're programmed to or told to? Of course not. Likewise, God wants you to love him because you want to do it. So what he does is he comes and he saves us. He breaks into our situation. He wins our hearts. He woos us with these and a hundred other ways. That makes Christianity radically different than any other religion out there. All the other ones are about mankind aspiring to God in some way, us earning it or working or or trying to climb. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? It's like we want to get up there. Christianity is the only religion in which God comes down. He comes down to meet us in our desperation. While we were still sinners, he comes to save us. It makes it so different, which 
the salvation is the second name. So the first name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The other name is he will be called Jesus. You shall name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua. And it means the Lord saves. Literally, his name is the Lord saves. You shall call him the Lord saves because he will save their people from their sins. Verse 21, he came for us. He came to save us. This is the gift of Christmas. This is the whole meaning of the incarnation. For us and for our salvation, the creed says, he came down. So the scripture is full of reasons for us to love God. And the question is, will you do it? And a secondary question is, how will you do it? In order to be ready for his return, we can build the habit of loving him now, expressing our love for him now. And if I go back to those five love languages, but instead of applying them to human love between two people, what does it look like to apply them in terms of your love for God, your response? He loves us in all, all of these ways, all five of these ways he loves us. What does it look like for you to put into your life some habits to express love in response to the love God has already given you? Gifts. You can actually give things to God. It's one of the reasons that as a church, every year in, towards the end of the year, I encourage you to take a pledge card and pray and ask yourself, what will I give God this year? And a financial gift is an investment in his kingdom. Maybe you'll give an extra gift to some mission or ministry somewhere. That's a gift to God, not just to that mission. Acts of service. You have been given abilities. You have a choice of what to do with your abilities. You can serve other people. You can jump in and serve um, the church. You can serve the local community. You can serve the world. You can do things. To put it in the football analogy, get off the bench and get into the game. You can actually start to serve. And you would do it as an act of love for God, acts of service. Time, spending dedicated time with the Lord. This is something I've been developing over the recent years where I will take a day and go somewhere. I try and go somewhere beautiful and inspiring, someplace where I see something in nature. It helps. And I just spend time with God. I'm not trying to accomplish something. I'm not trying to read through the Bible. I'm not trying to hear a word from him, although occasionally he'll speak. I'm just simply setting aside time to be in his presence and enjoy him. That's what we were created for. And it's, it's not a waste of time if he doesn't speak. It's still a sweet offering. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors did, an, did a contemplative prayer time in the afternoons on Tuesdays. And we'd all, there were about 12 of us would go. We'd sit in this room. Um, he would, he would, um, he had some like little CD thing that kind of played some music and it, it got quieter and quieter for about 30 seconds until we were just sitting still in this room with our eyes closed, just being with God. And I, of course, was always trying to get stuff done. I was like trying to hear from God. Or I was trying to be productive. And at the end of one of these, he said, um, how was your prayer time? And I said, I, just, I, didn't, I didn't get anything. I feel like I just kind of wasted the time. And he pointed out that it's never a waste it was a gift to God that you gave him that time and you sat in his presence and you made yourself open to him. Just being together. Think of the picture of the old couple that, are, that love each other, have known each other so long. They don't have to talk. Just to be in the presence of the other is enough. Quality time spent with the Lord. Words, praise, adoration. And I don't mean saying I love you, although to say I love you is a powerful phrase, but it can be kind of overused. 
but to say what you love about somebody. What do you appreciate about God? Which of his attributes do you most like? I find myself describing him, praising him, adoring him with words. But guess what my love language is? Words of affirmation. So I, I tend to love in the way I like to be loved. So I tell God often how much I like him. It's an act of praise. And, of, and then, of course, touch. And you think, well, God is spirit. How can you physically touch him? Well, Jesus said, you will be my hands and feet. And he said, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. So when you go and extend a kindness to someone, when you give a lonely person a hug, when you shake somebody's hand, when you, when you do that kind of stuff, you're actually doing it for the Lord Jesus. Or you can be if that's what your heart's intention is. So go and love him with physical touch by caring for those in need. You'll be loving God, not just the person in need. So I want to encourage you, think through those five love languages. Think through all of the reasons that you can think of, of why God has, how God has shown his love for you. And then develop the habit of responding in some way. Cultivate the habit of loving God. If you do that now, when he returns, it will be just that much sweeter. You will have already been preparing yourself for what you're going to do for all eternity. How glorious this is. And we will then be so overjoyed when Christ returns. It will be a, our greatest day ever. So let's develop that habit of expressing love to God because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much in this book that tells us and shows us how much you love us. And especially in the incarnation, Jesus, in coming among us, you showed us the extent of your willingness to win our hearts. Lord, we ask you to soften our hearts, to continue to woo us, to help us, Lord, because our ability to love is broken. Heal us that we might love you in response. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.